Okay, so does everyone have access to a Bible, whether that be physical or digital? Cool. Right, so I want to get started this evening by just giving you a brief overview of Luke, um, of who he is, of what his gospel is about. And yeah, it's generally that. But before I get into that, as some of you may know, yesterday was the anniversary of the D-Day landings. And I got me thinking, how can we be sure that certain historical events happen? Like what, what like, evidence is there for the D-Day landings? Any ideas? Do you mean like time logs and like, do you know when people like, not diaries, but you know when people like write it down and they count for yep. it? Yes, yeah, so I kind of like journals. Yeah. Like stories passed down by family members. Yeah. So kind of like hearsay, I guess, like people who were there and then they tell their kids, they tell their grandkids. You have like artifacts and stuff. So like things from the event. Yep. So yeah, as you were saying, so you've got all those different ways. You've got journals, you've got artifacts, uh, eyewitness accounts of people who were there. And I think out of all of them, I would say the most reliable would be the eyewitness accounts because it's someone from someone who was there. They've seen it with their own eyes. Like they've, experienced it and they're now just passing that on but can you guys think of any flaws to an eyewitness account bias okay <laughs> so, yeah so it could be bias if you i mean yeah i'm sure if you ask and um, if we use d-day as an example if you ask an an allied like the eyewitness account of an allied soldier it's going to be very different to the account given by a german soldier so if we want to if we were gonna go back in time and create a, like write a book about the D-Day landings, what we'd have to do is combine both eyewitness accounts from like across everyone who was there, which would, I would say, be the most reliable way of doing it. So going on from that, eyewitness accounts, uh, Luke's gospel is actually just a collection of eyewitness accounts collected by Luke himself and compiled into one book. So therefore, based on what we've just said, it's clear that that's going to be pretty reliable. And yeah, because especially back then, like history, it wasn't really written down. It was very much a, um, like, you know, you tell friends, you tell your children about something that's happened. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much what Luke's gospel is. Now, on to Luke himself. Firstly, does anyone know anything about Luke? So Luke was a gospel writer. As you know, he wrote the gospel of Luke. But he also wrote another book. Can anyone tell me what that is? Any ideas? Acts. Yep, that is correct, Matt. Um, so he wrote Luke and Acts. So they're both in similar styles. Again, eyewitness accounts collected into one book. Another couple of interesting things about Luke. He didn't actually experience the things that he writes about firsthand. He was kind of a spectator, if you like. So if you've got like Jesus's life, uh, death, resurrection from here, and around him, you have his disciples. So that's your Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and John, their gospels. And then you've got Luke, who's writing after it's all happened. And he's yeah, using eyewitness accounts and collecting everything together. So it's quite interesting when you think of it that way, how Luke's gospel is kind of like the odd one out. You've got the three gospels, and then you've got Luke's. So the three of the gospels, obviously, Matthew, Mark, and John, they were all Jews. They were all from poor backgrounds, like not very well educated. I think the Bible describes them as like simple men. But then you look at Luke and Luke was actually a doctor. So he was a first century doctor, which similar to today, 
a very respected education. Um, you need you need a lot of education. It's a quite a high ranking profession, and like that can be seen through his writing. So out of all the gospels, he uses the best Greek, which obviously doesn't translate into English. Um, but you could imagine it would be similar to I don't know like a professor from Oxford writing a book compared to a 15 year old from Perth or something. That's that's the kind of kind of levels that we're looking at. Again, not sure if any of you are big on the kind of ancient history, but he's comparable to historians like Herodotus, who is the father of ancient history. So yeah, that's that's kind of where we're that's where we need to approach this gospel from. From that background that Luke is a well educated man. He he did his research and because of that we can be assured that what we're reading is accurate. Okay, so Luke is split up into three parts. Um, you can classify them as like he splits it geographically, uh, following Jesus's passage through the region that he was uh, living and preaching in. But it's more accurate actually to split it into kind of three kind of like thematic parts. So the first one is that he came for you. It's the first eight chapters are Luke saying that what happened in Jesus's life was deeply personal. It happened for you. It happened for me. It happened for everyone individually. It wasn't just for the people back in first century BC. It wasn't for the early church. It wasn't for people, I don't know, just 500 years ago, but it's for everyone all the time. The second part is that he can use you. All we need to do is say yes. And the third part is that he can use us because he made a way for us by his death and resurrection. But we'll come on to that later. So what we're going to do now is jump into the Bible. So if you could all get your Bibles ready and turn to Luke chapter one, verses one to four. And this verse, we're going to break it down and it's going to give us some insight into why Luke wrote his book and just yeah, generally about his book. So does anyone want to read this passage? And what chapter was it again? Chapter one, verses one to four. I don't mind reading. Yep. Okay. So has everyone got their Bibles ready? Okay. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Lovely. Thank you very much. So the first important principle to apply to Luke's gospel is that everything in it happened for a purpose, firstly. And secondly, that purpose was uh, for us, you know, deeply, deeply personal. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to break down the verse into small chunks and then just break them each down, analyze them, whatever. So the first section, uh, first verse one reads, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So I just want to focus on the first, uh, the first half of that verse. Uh, so many have undertaken to draw up an account. What do you think that could be relating to? Is that calling out Matthew, Mark and John? Yeah, so it is it's definitely it's definitely referencing the other gospels. So yeah, he's saying like some people have made like accounts of this. Um, I don't think he's necessarily criticizing the three gospels, but it is worth noting that there were many other accounts written about Jesus's life. 
because he was quite a big, you know, quite a big important figure. He was well known like in his region. So there were other accounts written by other people. So I think Luke's kind of saying, like, look, there's other accounts written, but this one is, you know, this one is written by me for you. Yes, yeah, so an example of another writer would be uh, Flavius Josephus. He was a first century Romano-Jewish historian. He basically just detailed Jesus's life. And there are probably countless others that I couldn't find on the internet because they've just been, you know, lost throughout the years or weren't weren't as accurate and reliable as the other uh, four Gospels. So as mentioned uh, earlier, Luke is different to the other three Gospel writers. So firstly, he wasn't a Jew. So there's no way that like, it can be taken as, oh, of course, he's going to say good things about Jesus. He's a Jew. So he's writing this as uh, from uh, like a Gentile background. So while, yeah, actually, while Jesus was living and going about his ministry, Luke was probably worshipping Roman gods somewhere in Gentile territory, which is quite an interesting thing to think about. But yeah, he's not a Jew. He's educated and his gospel is written chronologically. Luke's very meticulous about his dates and historical events. And as we look through the book, you'll see that actually places, events, times, they all line up with other historical writings. Um, so you, you can tell it's all really accurate. Yeah, so Luke wrote this book, as I mentioned earlier, over a two-year period and about 30, about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So I guess to put it into modern day terms, the fall of the Berlin Wall, 1989, is about uh, roughly the same length of time back as Jesus' death and resurrection would have been. So it would be like taking my dad, he was born in 1968, he can still remember when the Berlin Wall fell. He had some mates who were in Germany at that time for work, and it would be like him going to people now and being like, you know, what was the Berlin Wall like? When did it fall down? Like what actually happened? He'd collect a load of accounts and then put them into one book. So that's, that's the kind of time scale that we're working with. It's not like Luke was writing this 500 years on when everyone who was there had died. Um, so what, yes, yeah, so what we're doing here is firsthand or possibly secondhand eyewitness experiences, which makes it incredibly reliable. Okay, so second part of that verse, uh, of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So this is clearly referencing the life of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection and the gospel. So I just wanted to get some of your thoughts. What do you think the gospel is? The good message. <laughs> yep. Anyone else? It's all about like the life of Jesus and his example and also how he kind of came to save us. Yep, definitely. Any more? So it's kind of like if that's showing Jesus' life, then that's how we need to live. Yeah, so that's pretty much that's pretty much it in essence right there. So first and foremost, it is good news. It translates as good news, I think. And it's about the life of Jesus. It's about his uh, his life and his actions, which we should model ourselves on. And ultimately, it's about his death and resurrection. And his death and resurrection are inseparable, which we'll come on to later. But if you think if you take his if you take Jesus's death without his resurrection, then it's just a pointless sacrifice. But if you look at his death with his resurrection, then you realize that it is the the greatest sacrifice that humankind has ever known. An interesting thing also is Jesus's life fulfilled countless Old Testament prophecies. And the significance of Jesus is portrayed throughout the whole book. And 
what it means for us. Uh, as I said earlier, Luke relates it on a personal level. It's not some distant figure. Um, it's personal. It's for us. And it all happened. Okay. Verse two, just as they were handed down to us by those who are from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Okay. So I split this up into two parts again. So we've got the first half, just as they were handed down to us. So interestingly, actually, if you look at this phrase in the original Greek, it is taken from the verb paradosis, which li when literally translated means to transmit tradition. So I just wanted to get you guys thoughts. What does that kind of make you think of? The two words, transmit tradition. What kind of connotations does that bring? It sort of reminds me of um, parents telling stories to their kids of, you know, old fables like Jack and Jill and that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think, I mean, actually, before I say what I think, does anyone else have any thoughts? Um, it could suggest, like, because it's tradition, that like they've done it multiple times and this isn't like, the first time. It's like something they used to do that, that makes sense. Yep, so it's kind of like the like, what they're passing down is like well ingrained, like in their memories, in their hearts. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with both of those. Another interesting thing is to look at the word transmit, because I think it's lost. Uh, it's lost in the English translation of handed down to us. If you hand down something, it's kind of like, I mean, I'm, if, you, if any of you have siblings, I'm sure you've either received hand downs or have given them hand downs. And it's kind of, it's something that like, it's something you don't want. But I think the, the original Greek is actually a lot more accurate in this. Because um, talking about transmitting, and when you transmit something, I don't know, say you're transmitting a message, you want that message to be something with the highest possible accuracy. You don't want any information to be lost, and you want it to convey exactly what you're trying to say with precise details. So I think that from that, it's just another indicator that it was reliable. So, yeah, so this phrase, paradosis, highest degree of accuracy, and it's transmitting, you transmit something with intent. So these stories were not just told for the sake of being told. These stories were told to Luke from eyewitnesses um, in an active living way in order so that they could be recorded um, within, with the intent of passing this on to future generations, to people all over the world. Because you've got to remember this time, 30 years on, it's the growth of the early church, um, seen through the Acts of the Apostles. Um, so like the need for the need for a well-written, accurate historical book is um, incredibly evident here. Okay, so the second, second half of this verse is uh, who from the first were eyewitnesses. Um, so again, kind of spoken about this all already. So these, these are people who are still alive. These are people who were living through Jesus's life and they were still alive when Luke was, um, when Luke was writing this book. So again, it's that first generation. It's not like, really really old uh, these are people who have seen these things with their own eyes and we're just passing this on to luke yeah i think i might mention this before but it's also worth um noting that back then in um first century bc uh like oral history was very common like you know you'd tell stories you'd you'd listen to stories that's that's just how things were whereas nowadays if you ask someone to i don't know like, give an account of an event that happened like say there was i don't know say there was a, a car crash and you were like oh, okay you need to do like describe to me what happened uh, like bear in mind this car crash was like five years ago people would probably be like oh i don't know like, let me let me check my smartphone let me check like a photograph of it or something 
Um, but back then it was very different. It was very much you, things were preserved in memory and through like the sharing of stories and eyewitness accounts. Um, so as mentioned earlier about the D-Day landings, if we wanted to, if we wanted to get an accurate historical account of that, we would get numerous eyewitnesses because we said one is limited. Uh, not only is it biased, but if you think like, also just from a practical point of view, you can't have one person seeing everyone's like a geographical perspective. Like if you're stood on like one side of the field, you're not going to be able to see what's happening too well on the other side of the field. So that's why Luke is meticulous about here using a variety of eyewitnesses. So he collects them and he compiles them over a period of time. So verse three, uh, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So this is quite a big verse, and I'll actually split it into four parts, kind of like two halves, then two halves, halves. So the first bit is Luke talking about um, his own actions, since I myself have carefully investigated everything. So he's not, he's not just investigating, which in itself, I would say sounds pretty, you know, like focused, you're like dedicated to it, but no, he's carefully investigated everything, not just like, I know just not like not like the main stories. He's gone into like every single possible detail. So obviously he's educated. He's well educated. He's a doctor. He's used to being methodical, and I believe that that has translated into his work. His writing style, as I said earlier, is akin to other great historians. Um, and yeah, that's just kind of shown throughout. Also, like the structure of his book is laid out in a way that makes sense. He goes from the first chronologically recorded event to the last chronologically recorded event. Um, so it's all very methodically done. Um, right. So he investigated and he so he spent a period of time researching both his books, uh, Luke and Acts, and getting eyewitness accounts from all over the region. I want you to guess how long he spent researching, um, researching for these books. Maybe like about a year. OK, so we've got one year from Paul. Because it's split up um, into three parts, maybe three years. Yeah, nice. I like that reason. At this time in history, there was like a thousand people in the world. So like how many eyewitnesses can there be? I'm going to say like eight months. Okay, eight months from Daniel. We reckon it's a lot longer. We reckon it's like, what, five, five, five seven years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been like a kind of life's work type thing as well. Potentially, okay. if you wanted to be that methodical about it. Yeah. Ten years, maybe. 10 years okay right so that's uh i'm quite glad that you gave me a nice wide spectrum of guesses there because otherwise it would have been a rubbish if you all guessed exactly the right date but um so he actually spent two years researching so not quite as long as a lifetime but a bit longer than eight months so he if anyone wants some dates it's believed that he started his research uh, in 57 uh, ad and finished it in 59 ad and then he spent the process of writing his books over the next two years from 60 to 62 AD. Um, so from that, you can see that, you know, he spent a lot of time. Um, he spent a lot of time researching and he spent a lot of time writing as well, which I think is really important. Like, as I mean, I don't know what subjects you will take at school, but I'm sure you can remember planning GCSE English essays. There was no point spending two hours on the plan if you're only going to spend 15 minutes writing the essay. You've got to get a balance of the both. So I think the fact that, that he spent the same amount of time researching and writing, there's something quite cool about that. And it shows that he really 
valued what he was putting together. Right. So next bit. So he's talking about how he's carefully investigated everything, but he's investigated everything from the beginning. So when I read this, I was initially like, oh, okay, that just means that he's researched it from the birth of Christ, zero AD to his resurrection and ascension, about 30 to 35 AD. But um, with a bit of reading, I actually discovered that it could be intended in like a more literal sense. So like, like the beginning of like time, the beginning of Jewish traditions. And as we work through the book, you'll see that Luke actually alludes to Old Testament traditions, Jewish customs throughout his book, not in the same explicit way as Matthew, who was writing with that intent. But it's clear to see that he is aware of Jewish history. He's aware of Jewish heritage and that his familiarity with the Old Testament is just as comprehensive and like well-structured as his compilation and research for the eyewitness accounts. So yeah, next bit. Uh, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. So again, similar kind of to the question earlier, what does an orderly account mean to you guys? If I told you to write an orderly account of this, what would it mean? Actual, like accurate. Accurate, okay. Accurate in what way? So it's like detailed and like he hasn't kind of twisted it to the way he sees it he's put it the way that it happened and hasn't changed any details yeah i thought about it in like a chronological kind of way instead yep. i don't know might be wrong but no, no that's wrong that's wrong uh okay anyone else i'd say like it's sort of written in a way that the structure is quite like concise and like quite logical i'd agree with paul like <clears throat> there's like books in the bible and stories in the bible and like songs this is an orderly account like this guy's a scholar this is more like science to him yep that's a very nice way of putting it actually yeah, as you see like i mean if you look at like psalms or like song of solomon it's not quite a structured account it's just the i mean psalms is just the writings of david when he's feeling a bit emotional but as you say this is this is written by luke he's uh he's a scholar he's well educated and actually, you guys all hit it. When you combine your answers, you hit it bang on. Um, so, yes, it is chronological. Um, it is meticulously chronological, in fact, right from the birth of Jesus. Actually, right from before the birth of Jesus, all the way through to his ascension. And what Luke does is he hangs, he hangs the story, he, hang, he hangs the stories, and he puts them to like, other historical events um, that happened and places so that we can be assured of their validity. Not only is it chronological, but it's well-structured, it's concise. It's split into three sections, each eight chapters, and they each have a key meaning, and Luke only includes the bits that are necessary. There's, um, we'll come onto it later on, but there's some examples in Luke's gospel where he sums up, I think there's one, where it's like, well, some of the other gospels, they have, like Jesus walking from one town to another and hang on, be Matthew or John, they spend like 20 verses describing this. And Luke's like, you know, it doesn't matter that Jesus walked from this town to this town. He basically, he just focuses on the stuff that is relevant and that applies to us and why it applies to us. So yeah, no, really, really good set of answers there. So from that, we can, uh, we can tell that it's historical fact. And I think that sense of stability is really important in this gospel because i mean i don't know if any of you have read it but i assume you'll be pretty familiar with the stories and it's like some of the some of the things are quite 
you know, they're, they're kind of wild. Like we wouldn't expect them to happen today. But the fact that it's grounded in historical fact is kind of just reassurance um, to us that Luke knows what he's talking about and that we can trust his account. Actually, on the back of that, uh, a fun fact which I learned from my research is that Luke uses, I can't remember the exact number, he uses like the um, the words angel, demon and spirit more times than any of the other three Gospels combined, which you'd think, hang on, but he's a doctor. But then you actually think, oh, wait, if he's a doctor and he's done his research, there must be something right here. OK, next bit, uh, end of verse three, most excellent Theophilus. So when I say that phrase, most excellent Theophilus, what does that make you think of? Where would you use that title? Who would you be talking to? Does anyone know what that's about? I think the fact that I pronounce it wrong shows that I kind of have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> any, any guesses from anyone? If not, that's okay. I've slightly cheated and I've flicked to Axe and yep. you talked about the same guy again. Yeah. So, mm, like, what did he say? Like, fantastic, the obelisk or whatever. Is it like a student or like his son? Close, close. Um, so it is the same guy. Luke writes both books kind of like, I don't know, like a, a gift. I mean, not really a gift, but he writes them, he writes them to, this, uh, to this one man, Theophilus. Um, and the phrase most excellent is seen throughout Acts um, when talking to judges, judges in a court of law. Uh, in Acts 26, 25, you've got most excellent, Festus. And there's, there's some others, others throughout um, the book of Acts. So, yeah, Theophilus is a judge. He is a Roman judge who would preside over Paul's trial in Rome in Caesar's court at the end of Acts. So, um, for those of you who don't know, spoiler, Paul, at the end of Acts, get put, gets put into prison and he's tried. And Luke is writing this to the judge. He, yeah, he's, I'm pretty sure he's mates with him. Um, and he basically just wants to, he wants to just convince Theophilus that Christianity is right. Because skipping ahead a bit of context to Paul's trial it was it was like a test case for christianity because the roman empire they there were made there were two main religions uh you had like the roman paganism so that's you know you got like zeus venus like numerous gods and then you have judaism the old traditional judaism um so following mosaic law back from the old testament and they banned all religious like sects and cults um they were prohibited and at that time, Christianity was starting to be viewed as almost like a dangerous, like a dangerous cult. And what Luke wants to do is show that Christianity is actually the true version of Judaism, and that it is no, it is in no way a separate, like a separate little group. That is actually the fulfillment of everything from Judaism, and it, it basically it's like it's the true faith uh, of of the Jews and of the Gentiles as well. So. Yeah, this this judge Theophilus, um, he's he's judging over Paul, and a bit of context on Paul. Obviously, Paul used to be Saul, and then on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with God, and suddenly he went from killing hundreds of Christians to converting hundreds of Gentiles to be Christians, which is pretty amazing. Um, so if you want to um, know more about Paul, then give Acts nine one to nineteen. I can put that in a message later if anyone's going to forget that and that basically just details his his journey on the road to damascus yeah i'd recommend it. it's a pretty good read if you have some time so the fact that luke wrote this for theophilus and for such 
important circumstances like paul's trial is literally going to determine like the out like the christian faith for the rest of history so like, luke knows that the stakes are high and i think that it's because of that and because of just his nature as a person that he went to such lengths as he did uh to get that meticulous accuracy and to really put it into a personal perspective like luke wants theophilus to see that this is about him and it's about every every single person okay so on to verse four so that you may know the certainty of the things he has been taught so this again it kind of just sums up the last three verses quite nicely i think um it shows that it shows luke's intent how he wants to give an orderly and reliable account of Jesus's life and the good news, the gospel, the life of Jesus. And that, um, again, the Greek translation of certainty, it can also be uh, translated into like the stability of an idea. So that idea that something is stable and unchanged and unchanging. So again, this is all Luke laying the foundations for his gospel, which is going to, it's going to challenge his readers. It's going to open their eyes and it's going to change his readers and that's why he wants to set out such a strong and stable foundation so that as he said in verse four you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught i think that also in that luke's kind of adhering to the fact that obviously those days there was a lot of word of mouth stuff spread pretty quickly and luke i think here that luke wants to address like what is what is fact and what is fiction he wants to show that what, what he's writing is fact and because obviously Theophilus he would have heard things just through the grapevine I guess um, and he just really wants to fix Theophilus's eyes on like the biblical truths that he presents in his book and then through this genuine historical fact it's there's a challenge there's a challenge from Luke to us to respond to Jesus and the fact that all of this happened for each one of us. It, all of this happened for you. So they're the first four verses. And from those, it gives a it gives an outline of his book. It gives an outline of his intentions. And it is essential to have this basic understanding of who Luke is, why he's writing it, and why we can rely on his narrative. Because by having that firmly rooted idea that Luke's gospel is historical fact, undisputable historical fact, it accentuates and highlights God's amazing power which is shown throughout the following 23 chapters it means that when Luke talks about blind men who are healed about dead girls who are raised about the feeding of the 5,000 the casting out of demons that we can know with assurance that he's not just some random dude who decided to write a book and make up some stories that this happened and then because this happened we need to think okay how does this apply to us today? So to sum that all up, the conclusion of Luke's gospel, introduction to it, is that he starts it by challenging us. And this challenge is for us to change our perspective and see things differently, to kind of step away from that. OK, Jesus was a man. He lived 2000 years ago. Um, nice. He wants us to step down from that kind of elevated spectators balcony and to actually step into the reality that all of this happened for us and that we must change our perspective to see that. That, yeah, that each of Jesus's actions, the small ones and the big ones, 
such as him going to death, an innocent man across for our sins. Uh, it happened for us. It happened for each one of you. It happened for me. It happened for everyone. And yeah, and that we can be certain of that because of who Luke is and why he's written it. Yeah, thank you. And if there's any questions, then let me know.